Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, timeless investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focused Compounding, here for your favorite investing podcast on the planet, sitting next to my co-founder, Mr. Jeff Cannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How is it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else. Hey, if this is the first time that you are tuning in with us, checking in with us, be sure to hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up, leave us a rating and review, and check out all of our other content. Go to FocusCompounding.com. Uh, Jeff blogs about two to three different stock ideas every single week on the premium side of things, uh, so be sure to sign up there. It is 60 bucks a month. You can cancel anytime you want, um, so be sure to check that out. Also, we manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Click the Invest With Us uh, tab on our website, FocusCompounding.com. Lastly... The famous Gannon Gazette goes out every two weeks and you get a free stock idea mm-hmm. and in the email. So be sure yeah, to sign up for our email list on the homepage. Again, that is focuscompounding.com. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about mistakes. And okay. we've done a mistakes podcast in the past. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it's very productive to rub your face in mistakes and do mm-hmm. a little bit of a postmortem. And we can even talk about not just mistakes when it comes to ideas, but just mistakes in general. Uh, habits, um, okay. you know, stuff like that. Um, so we're coming to the end of the year. Yeah. And I don't want this to be a total postmortem on 2019. Okay. But what do you think are some mistakes, both perf- like, I guess, uh, <laughs> you know, investing, but also like yeah. with the process as okay. well that you think you've made um, in 2019? And what are you going to do to get better about it? Well, that's a hard one. Um, uh, well, mistakes, let's see. So recently, we've had a very bad quarter in the last quarter of this year where we had a very good first three quarters. Um, and the big stock declines were in our biggest position, NACO, and in a smaller position, but still big position, uh, Necker. Uh, not big for us, but big by anyone's standards that it isn't us. Um, and uh, I would say that one of those was not a mistake, uh, NACO. And the other one, Necker, was. Okay. That was my mistake. Uh, picking that stock and buying it. And uh, what happened there is, one, it was the sum of the parts thing. And as you know, uh, you have a sticky note that says, uh, when thinking SOTP, sum of the parts, uh, think STOP. That's right. I saw that on Twitter, and I like that. Yeah? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I like that. Um, It's a sticky note on my um, computer screen. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So, And we work together, so I can see that sticky note all the time. (laughs) It's useful. Um, in general, some of the parts things have been uh, a problem for us, uh, for me. Uh, we bought a couple things last year that either didn't do much of anything or, or went down. And certainly, on average, things that have been tied to asset stuff for us has done much worse than things that are tied to Why do you think that is? Things. I mean, were they more popular back in the day, you think? It's and they, they've kind of changed now? I mean, because even, okay, so in the Q3 yeah. letter, you wrote about Trinity Park holdings right uh, train place tra- holdings yeah what is it train place holdings yeah, yeah. place holdings sorry um and that, that we don't be, own and we, we do not own and, no we do not but <laughs> we talked about it because of the fact that when i was talking to you about it you were like uh, i don't really want to see something that's an asset play yeah, yeah and um since then they came out with an offering i think they're um you know doing an offering for more common stock in the stock like you know sold off more something like that mm-hmm. why do you think 
some of the parts situations are attractive to you, other value investors as right. well, not just you. Mm-hmm. And then why do you think they tend to kind of be crappy situations, I guess you could say, or at least uh, from our experience? Yeah. Um, it's a very, I mean, do you think it's very Ben Graham? It is very Ben Graham. You know, we have to be careful with all these is that they're not necessarily super cheap. Um, they, the, some of the parts thing works out okay if you have an appraisal that's very, very low. I, I mean, I, I don't mind buying asset plays when I, there's a great deal of safety to it. Um, I bought a bunch like of Like a good business that, attached to it? Well, sometimes or an incredible cheapness. But the good business thing is helpful in a few ways. One is uh, solvency stuff. So when you were talking about with Trinity Place, uh, Maui Land and Pineapple would fall into this category. Um, cool, the timber company that we talk about sometimes, would fall into this. They produce very, very little uh, or no free cash flow or no cash flow to fund their uh, assets. So if they need to develop or something, they would need to um, borrow or issue shares or something like that. Now, Necker was different. Um, Necker is a little complicated situation because I did not get involved in buying the stock until after a deal had closed. And then the uh, party that had sold the company to them, uh, bought the company from them, sorry, um, didn't agree with their adjustment to what had happened to the value of the company in the time between when the deal was agreed upon and when it closed. Which, so the closing price was a disagreement. That is very rare. Uh, I mean, it's very, well, it's rare, very common very common to have small adjustments. Yeah, they happen right. all the time. Almost all deals include adjustments for things like how much your uh, borrowing from the bank was, your seasonal borrowing was at that time, how much inventory you had on hand. Lots of things are like seasonal type things and stuff. They're small adjustments. This was a, like a third of the value of the deal or something, yeah. and a huge uh, um, percentage in terms of the cash that the company had left. So uh, we like Necker as a business, do like Necker as a business, um, but the difference in the price between a pretty high price for the stock or, or not a low price and a very low price was the cash that was on hand from the sale. And there's a reason why I didn't buy the stock before the deal closed. Mm-hmm. But in that case, obviously, uh, the deal closing wasn't enough of a guarantee. To me, I thought that after the deal closed that it was uh, safe to know what the uh, amount of cash they had on hand would really be and stuff. And now it's in dispute. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, it's been an interesting experience for me because you, for example, Necker, Mm-hmm. And we talk about this all the time. The best stock to own is the one where you feel comfortable just not getting updates on the company all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And Necker was a company where, you know, I mean, we were definitely, we have been and were very much so following the situation day to day. And that's no fun to do. Right, exactly. And, and that's you, what, like special situations investing is like all the time. And you take, you compare that to a company like OTCM, CSVI, mm-hmm. um, you know, a couple other companies uh, that we've talked about on the podcast. And I mean, you could feel virtually certain, even if you maybe even pay too high of a price, that mm-hmm. in 10 years, the stock or the business itself is going to be larger than it is today. Yeah. And from the times that I've done things in um, uh, different asset plays and stuff, it is much more sort of like being an insurer or something. You buy a basket of these things with the expectation that they'll work out over time, and they will as long as nothing you don't expect happens. As long as... And maybe that's, maybe that's the difference. Is that right. a lot of people that like you take like the Benjamin Graham approach to mm-hmm. it was he didn't really concentrate on these these plays. It was much more of a diversified portfolio. Yeah, he would own like up to a hundred different stocks and yeah. things like that. The other thing though is Graham would buy things that were much cheaper than these things, and that's where we have to be careful. These are all things that have been that we're looking at where they're not cheap on price to book. Most of these, not all, um, but like um, Necker, the cash was in. I mean, Necker was cheap, but um, some of the others uh, are cheap when you adjust for the the likely value, the appraisal value of the land or something like that. Real estate things can be hard that way. Um, 
it's always helpful. It's it's much better to buy. Not it's usually better to buy something that's very very cheap on the um earn on like an earnings basis. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want to say that you shouldn't buy any asset plays when it's so obvious that they are um a much better deal. I, I did buy a bunch of Japanese net nets and they did great. Um, and lots of people could have gotten like thirty to fifty percent of your returns for a couple of years in Japan. And you did that as a nets. basket. Yeah, buying like which six did of you? Them. I, no, I don't even know this. I'm not okay. asking. So did you structure it as like a one? Uh, like, was that your full portfolio or did you say, okay, I'm going to dedicate one position and then from there I'm going to pick, um, you know, 13 positions to go. I decided that, that I want to put more point. than 50% into Japanese net ads. Got it. And I tried to put 50% into them. I didn't quite reach that because of just not being able to buy them quite fast enough and other positions going up at the same time. But I got very close to buying 50%. Uh, 50% is sort of like, for my own personal thing, I don't want to go over no matter how much I like a stock. Mm -hmm. So I felt that Japanese Nets as a group, I liked this more than any stock I could imagine. But I still didn't want to exceed 50%. And remember, I wasn't hedging the yen, so mm -hmm. you have that you don't want more than 50% exposure to one currency probably. Okay, so that, that hits on Necker. Now, what about NACO? You referenced that in the beginning. Yeah, I don't think NACO was a mistake. No. Um, and uh, still, we still own NACO. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but it went down. Uh, but I have to say, it also <laughs> went up it in went a up way that I didn't quickly. think yeah. made a lot of sense. But, I mean, I asked you at one point, I'm like, why do you think it's going up? You're like, I really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it, was, it, was, it was just ripping into the end of the... End of it went three. up because, in part, probably because of an agreement that they had for a lithium mine thing. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to get into all the math of it, but I kind of priced out what I thought the the present value, as people would say about it, it was. Because there's no revenue that will come from it for several years. Yeah. There has to be some probability that it won't work out. It's a new method. I mean, not that it isn't going to be successful. All the sorts of new methods for extracting lithium are going to be happening around the world because we don't produce enough of it now. So there will be new things being done like this. But I just mean it's not like this is the hundredth mine that someone's done that uses this process. And the company that is going to operate the mine is not like, you know, this isn't, um, you know, like Rio Tinto doing it or something. I mean, yeah. this is a company that has, you know, speculative sort of financial situation as you usually do when you um, don't have uh, mines up and running yet. You're, you own them and you haven't got them producing yet. Uh, so because of that, there's some probability it won't ever bring in money. Um, it may be a low probability, but it's a probability. You have to factor that in. Plus, you have to factor in the time value of the money mm -hmm. that you're not getting anything in for several years. NACO puts up some money up front for um, buying the equipment and stuff and then gets paid back right away from it. Um, when I did all the math on that, the per share value of it even if it's like a 20-year deal and it could be extended to be a 40-year deal or something, you know, because the mine could have a 40-year life. The, I think they estimate the mine life will be close to 50 years. Um, even if you do that, I don't. I get a price of, you know, dollars per share, not tens of dollars per share, mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, and the, the movement in the stock was way too big. Uh, I mean, we could argue about exactly what the value could be of it, but it couldn't be the value that the stock went up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And... Uh I would agree with that. What other mistakes do you think you have made in 2019 um, when it comes to like a process? Do you think you've made any mistakes? I mean, you've been doing this for a very long time and you've always kind of kept it the same way. Any uh, I've changed some things about the process over time. Yeah, I think I've made mistakes. Yeah, with the process. So like what? I'm always frustrated that I don't find enough of the ideas that I like. Okay. Um, and you know what those ideas are. Mm -hmm. uh, I would prefer to have a lot of ideas where I like the business. I know that it, I, I want to buy things on the basis of in 10 years, it's going to be worth a lot more than it is today. I could hold it for 10 years if I need to, but it 
the other people could discover it. It could be like the NACA thing where yeah. suddenly they like something about it and they like lithium or whatever and the stock starts to move and you sell it in three years. But I always <laughs> want to go in with the on the basis that this is a business that I'm investing in, yeah. not an asset or something. <clears throat> and I'd be happy to own it for 10 years. Not just happy, but I expect to beat the market owning it for 10 years. Yeah. And we find some of those, but we don't find a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what are the characteristics of those type of companies? They have to have an adequately high return on capital. It doesn't have to be uh, 200%, but it has to be approaching 20%. Okay. They have to have a high growth rate. It doesn't have to be um, 20%, but it maybe has to be more like 10% than 5%. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it, the price would have to be pretty low for it to the work. Revenue growth years. rate, free cash flow, what are you thinking? Yeah, so it has to have a good return on... <clears throat> basically, it has to, to, for it to be worth a lot more in the future than it is now, it has to have a good return on capital and the ability to put new capital to work. Mm-hmm. Um, or just the ability to grow without any new capital. And you know which ones those are and stuff. And so those are generally service-type businesses. Yeah. Um, they're businesses that have some aspect of float or something like that. They're usually businesses that have incredibly high customer retention rates. Um, but then they're also businesses that aren't like a dying industry or something. What I just described, all those things apply to NACO. We like NACO. But NACO is, is heavily exposed to coal stuff. They mm-hmm. are trying to get into other things. But that's absolutely, you know, that's not the same as being a company that's a, a bank or something. You mm-hmm. know, a, a bank will be around in a way that coal won't be in 100 years. And we're not investing for 100 years, but it helps to know something will be around 100 years to be very sure that it'll be around in 10. Uh-huh. You know? Sure. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. So I guess what can we do to mitigate against these mistakes and your thought process on you know, finding companies where you feel like they truly could be around for a hundred years or you truly can close your eyes and feel comfortable that they're going to, you know, do well for the next 10 years. Well, I spend way too much time on stocks uh, that aren't as good as what I just said, aren't businesses I want to own for 10 years, really. Um, uh, I mean, the two things I talk about sometimes is that we want to be a stock that we own for 10 years. But the other thing that I talk about, which is really how I think about it, is always if you offered to me this this stock as a private business, would I buy it? Or would I at least be very interested in it, want to do the scuttlebutt, figure it out, whatever? Yeah. So the kind of thing of like, if you, would you put in a huge par- part of your own net worth into this kind of thing? And um, like a bank or something, I would. I call it the grandma rule. Yeah. Seriously, the way I think about it is my grandma living yeah. in fixing, you know, in retirement. <laughs> if if uh-huh. she gave me, um, you know, w- would I feel comfortable putting, uh, uh, make this a large position for her? Yeah. And so we spent a lot of time looking at things that you don't want to upset grandma. That are, um, uh, Pabrai talks about, is it Pabrai <laughs> that talks about cocaine brain? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, things like that. Or they're, Munger, they're, one of them. They're very cheap. Um, they have some sort of catalyst or something. There are a lot of times the kind of thing you find in Value Investors Club. They may work out great, but I know that for my style and stuff, they're not the thing that I would focus in on first. I feel like Value Investor Club, it's a lot more, um, you know, next two or three years. And it's meant opposed, to be that way. It's meant to, to have a catalyst thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's well I mean, special situations and catalysts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is not generally how we want to think about those things. Not... I mean, I prefer not to do any of those. I really would. I would prefer to only be invested in companies that I would like to own for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is without relaxing on price a lot, it can be difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. And we're very concentrated compared to most investors, so we even don't need as big a list. But it's still hard because the, you'd have to compromise a lot on price, which you want to be careful about. I mean, in, in theory, how many ideas do you think we have to come up with a year for it to be productive? Uh, two a year would be fine. 
and possibly one a year can be fine if you're not making if you don't make like any mistakes in what you're picking then yeah. one a year is fine but you gotta take into account you'll make some mistakes and also some things that you want to own for the long term will get expensive or get bought out or whatever so probably two a year mm-hmm. yeah we need to find about one every six months do you ever compare like um stocks when you're reading to like if you're starting a new company mm-hmm. do you compare in your head to other great businesses that you yeah. are very familiar with just sort time. of to weight it you know yeah all the time we were talking about a bank recently that we were interested in and um, a main part of my comparison was comparing it to uh, Computer Services, which is a stock that we owned before. And I thought about it, and I thought, well, why am I not buying this stock right now, this bank? Is it just because it's a bank? Because it's a fairly safe bank. I yeah. mean, it's compared to other banks, it's very safe. It's, it's overcapitalized. It has no loan losses in its you know, recent <clears throat> history. I mean, it's going back a decade or more. Yeah. Um, it, it's not as safe as a service company because it is using leverage and, and is taking risks that, that a company um, like Computer Services, which just provides technology stuff for banks instead of being a bank. Yeah. Um, but on the math, is it going to grow as much as Computer Services? It'll grow faster. Will its return on equity be the same or higher? It'll be close. On like a cash basis, it'll probably be the same. Um, so when you do that math, you go, oh, well, this should really be as expensive or something like that. And sure. if it's trading at a big discount, then um, then you should buy it. I do that all the time where I think, well, should I um, should I buy something that's equally good yeah. and, and at a much lower price or buy something <clears throat> that is at the same price but obviously a lot better? Yeah, and I, I do that too. I, mean, <coughs> I was on Value Investors Club mm-hmm. and I read a write-up, uh, Nucleus Software Exports, and that this company operates in India and yeah. it reminds me incredibly of CSVI. Now, unfortunately... Mm-hmm. It's I don't. An Indian stock. I don't. I don't think we could buy it. Yeah. But if anyone could buy Indian stocks, definitely take. Well, a look Indian at this. citizens can. So people listening yes. to this are Indian <clears throat> citizens. I think don't have any problems. Uh, I don't know all the rules, but it's I think Indian a, citizens, even in other countries, yeah, shouldn't I mean, have a problem. Let's see. The, I could read you guys the first opening line of this investment summary. Uh, Nuclear software is a niche. I. Indian IT services small cap that is currently available for approximately eighteen to twenty percent free cash flow yield. As its stock is at a two-year low, while revenue and earnings have grown during this period, and the business itself reminds me a lot of um, CSVI. Mm-hmm. Um, and from this post, I think he talks about, uh, let's see, that they own management owns you know a lot of uh, the company, uh, high customer retention rate, like very much mm-hmm. the picture of something that we'd definitely be interested in learning a little bit more about. Right. Um, but unfortunately, we can't buy it. But there you go. Maybe if you're an Indian citizen and you want to look for a new company, maybe look at that. I don't have any opinion on it other right. than from a bird's eye view. It looks like something that we would be interested in if we could potentially buy it. Yeah. So I spend way too much time looking at an early <laughs> stage at uh, things that I think probably aren't the best. They, they shouldn't be in my top five of the things that I'd want to own. If they aren't in the top five of what I want to own forever or you know, like on a continuing basis, um, then they probably shouldn't be something that I'm considering. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you brought me a thing recently that was a, a retailer um, and uh, with some debt. Which I would never bring him a retailer unless I thought the situation it was, was, a special situation, was interesting. Though. It was yeah. an extreme special situation. But um, I don't think that we would, uh, I don't think that either of us thought that we would be something that we would want to buy and own for 10 years. No. No. You know, from everything from the management to what kind of business it's in to the financial leverage. Yeah. So uh, it's the kind of thing that it excites you and you get interested in it. But you're like, well, I really shouldn't be spending time on this. Yeah. And the same thing is true even with things like um, 
uh, people ask questions a lot about like KLXE, which we talked about a little bit or something. It's just the sort of thing that we tend to pass on because it's not that it's an attract. It's not that it might not on uh, the probabilities be attractive. It might be. It's not the kind of thing that we feel that we can value and uh, invest in for the longer term and hold as a bigger position too. Um, the same thing would be true with like NACO versus Hamilton Beach brands. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about Hamilton Beach brands. People ask like, why don't we own it and stuff? It's just, it's in a business that I know I'm less likely to own for the long term. Sure. Um, so for people who don't know that that's the company that does small appliances selling through things like, you know, Walmart and yeah. Target and Amazon and stuff. And so it would be the things that are, you know, microwaves and crock pots and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's just a competitive sort of thing. But I guess you kind of, it's, um, we're able to do that because, you know, we run such a concentrated portfolio. Yeah. You know, it would be totally different. And we've talked about this before. I mean, there's so many ideas I come across. I'm like, hey, if I was running, you know, 50 to 60 stocks or even, you know, 30 to 40 stocks, would I own a piece of this? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And uh, um, that can work sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I found the reason why we have such a concentrated portfolio, honestly, is because I've been, uh, I've slept the least well um, with the most diversified portfolio, diversified in the sense of holding the most positions. Yeah. Uh, I do like to be diversified in the sense of what kinds of risks you're taking. Um, we've talked about this before, but like if we like a bank, honestly, if we have a bank already that we know that we love and we're going to buy, we don't spend a lot of time looking at another bank because the truth is we're not going to own two banks. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I like that kind of diversification where, you know, when someone brings me an idea that's like a UK idea, you know, we already own a stock in the UK. I don't think that we're going to have um, two positions in the UK. The only country that we're likely to have multiple positions in is the US. Sure. Um, you know, our clients are in, in dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We do diversify, but not like that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, but that's an interesting question because we've talked a little bit about like it was a mistake to um, uh, not trim back a position that that uh, became a bigger part of people's portfolio because mm-hmm. it went up more. Sure. You know? And we've talked about that. And <clears throat> a lot of people do trim them back. Sure. What, um, I guess in closing, mm-hmm. what are you going to do in 2020 to ensure that you have learned from past mistakes, I guess? You know, since we're kind of talking about mistakes that were made in, in 2019. I mean, we have a website that I write things up on. So probably what I will do is I will write up more things regardless of the price, gotcha. which means that I'm interested in the business, but I might not like the price. And if I write up a lot of them, you know, we were saying do two to three a week or something. Well, if you do two or three a week, that means I'm doing a hundred and some a year. Um, if you do that, th- then odds are that a few, uh, I mean, the odds are that a couple dozen of them potentially um will have moved enough in price that you'd be interested especially if it's a year where the market's down a lot or something you could have dozens that would be interesting so um focusing on things that may not be immediately look like something that i would buy now not thinking about price but instead thinking just about is this a business i want to own for the next 10 years or something yeah yeah i think that's good well i want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with mr jeff and myself if this is the first time that you are tuning with us be sure to check out all of our work we have 150 plus podcasts can't even believe it we've been pumping out a ton of content three podcasts a week if you're watching us on youtube and if if you found us because of youtube this is probably the first time that you're listening to us hit that subscribe button thumbs this video up uh, leave us a comment. Let's get those, uh, the comments, you know, that comment section. Let's get, let's get it talking. Okay. Yeah. Leave Be nice careful comments. what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Leave nice comments. Anyways, I uh, want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with us. Check out all of our work. Like I said, go to focuscompounding.com. Jeff writes about uh, three different ideas a week and then join the Gannon Gazette. We're trying to get that email list up. Um, a lot of people like it. We give away a free write up from the website every mm-hmm. two weeks. And then we also have a table there. Um, with price targets or price targets of when we'd be interested to revisit the stock. So I think a lot of people like that as well. Well, thank you everybody so much for tuning in. We'll see you in the next podcast. Take care.
Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Jeff and I talk about actionable stock ideas, investing concepts, and the overall way that we think about investing at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Go to focuscompounding.com and enter in your email to get a free watch list from Jeff every other week. And be sure to check out all of our other work where Jeff writes about stocks at focuscompounding.com. I upload how-to investing videos on YouTube, and we both manage capital for investors at Focus Compounding Capital Management. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to follow along.